Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. In this country, we have been fighting over health care for as long as most of us can remember. But it's really true that most people agree on two things. Health care should be affordable and it should be easy to use. And the current system we have isn't working for far too many people. Since the passage of the Affordable Care Act more than 10 years ago, Democrats have been fighting over how to move closer to those goals. President Joe Biden and others have been pushing to expand the ACA. While more progressive Democrats have embraced policies that go even further toward creating a true universal health care system. During the Democratic primaries, voters heard a lot about the idea of Medicare for all. The single payer national health insurance program would completely restructure how we deliver health care in this country. But how realistic is it politically and how realistic is it practically? Those are questions that have loomed over that debate for a really long time. Dr. Abdul El-Sayed has long been a proponent of the idea of Medicare for All, and he has a new book out about it. It's called Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide, and it was released uh, recently and co-written by Dr. Micah Johnson. It's available now. Abdul El-Sayed joins me now to talk about healthcare in this country and how he believes Medicare for All would make it better for everyone. Dr. El-Sayed, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks so, so much for having me, Stephen, for an important conversation. I really appreciate it. Yes. So as I said, a lot has been said and written about Medicare for All, especially during and immediately after the Democratic primary in 2020. What do you add to the conversation with this book? A few things, Stephen. First, uh, we got to remember that the context has severely changed on us since the primary, which was litigated at the end of 2019 and the very beginning of 2020, but doesn't necessarily take into account everything that's happened since, say, March 2020, which is a global pandemic during which 15 million people uh, lost their health insurance. Our healthcare system was inundated with patients and uh, many hospitals nearly collapsed. You had nurses and doctors and hospital staff without basic PPE. We've been able to do the amazing scientific uh, task of creating a vaccine from soup to nuts in, in, in just about a year, and yet are struggling to get it out to people because of our anemic public health infrastructure. So that's number one. And then number two, um, we try and take this conversation outside of political talking points, uh, the talking points that people use to try and win votes, and rather put it in a conversation that situates it at the kitchen table uh, where people can be having conversations about what would be best for them when they look at uh, that ledger sheet every month and they think about uh, what came in and what went out, what the risks are that their family faces, uh, where does healthcare uh, come in and how does that map to the way that our system uh, exists currently and could exist if we were willing to invest uh, in a system that was just more just and more equitable and without the kind of profiteering we see uh, from healthcare corporations. So let's go back to not only the Democratic presidential primaries in 2019 and 2020, but back to the Democratic primary here in the state of Michigan in 2018. You have been talking about this for a really long time and, and really hitting on the idea that 
this is the 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 system that would solve all or or at least most of our of our problems uh, talk just a little bit though about the pushback that has always existed to the idea of this the the, the word that that a lot of critics jump to immediately is socialism. This is socialism. Now, we could have a long debate about why that's a dirty word uh, in, in some people's minds in this country and, and whether it should be. But, but just for the purposes of this conversation, let's accept that that's meant as an insult and it's meant as a way of instantly disqualifying uh, this idea, uh, address that, uh, that, that criticism and, and talk about why you still, even despite it, uh, believe that this is the way we ought to go. Yeah, I'll, I'll answer the last part first. You know, I, I trained in a healthcare system that I thought was going to equip me with the skills to be able to care for people, particularly people uh, whom too often society has forgotten. And I realized that that healthcare system is in fact part of the problem. And to me, it has ignited a lifelong commitment uh, to the idea that we could do it better. This idea has a long history in the United States. In fact, we uh, go to great pains in the book to review all of the times that we were on the precipice of some system of universal healthcare or national health insurance uh, and we saw the same set of actors step in to try and disinform the American public. And it has always been uh, healthcare corporations, and in particular, uh, the health insurance industry. And to be clear, in, in our state, the health insurance industry is one of the most powerful players uh, in the state and the state's politics. Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, owns about 70% of the market share uh, of health insurance in the state. They are one of the biggest donors uh, to both parties, in fact, and uh, they have invested deeply in uh, maintaining a healthcare system that continues to allow them to profit. Meanwhile, uh, their CEO last year made $19 million. Um, and their entire uh, profit motive, their, their business system, uh, is about getting you to pay every two weeks and your employer to pay every two weeks. Uh, and then when you get sick, they, uh, they, they will uh, ostensibly pay that out. But actually, they make their money when either you don't get sick or uh, when you get sick, they, they, they don't pay for the healthcare uh, that you already paid for. And uh, this system uh, leaves us with a healthcare system that is both rickety, uh, unfair, and uh, that fails you when you need it most. Um, and so, you know, th the challenge here, frankly, is about whether or not we are willing to step up to corporations that have decided that it is okay, it is moral, it is just to profiteer off of the bodies of sick people, um, to create a system uh, that, 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 that keeps our costs extremely high, uh, where 10% of us are excluded simply because we cannot pay, and then the other 90% are extracted from uh, by a system that ultimately uh, feeds money to the very top and uh, exists in a way uh, to put a throttle on um, the care that we need when we need it. And then on the other side, right, uh, I think that there is a lot of fear uh, in our country. You know, my first book, um, which we talked about, Stephen, was called Healing Politics, and mm -hmm. I uh, diagnosed a, an epidemic of insecurity. And I think that insecurity leaves us worried about what might happen in the future rather than invested in actually addressing uh, the barriers to getting uh, what it is that we deserve uh, in our country. And so when uh, these health insurers spend millions of dollars, literally $151 million alone in 2020 uh, lobbying across 845 uh, lobbyists, right? And they put uh, ads on our TV screens uh, everywhere we can see them telling us that we're going to lose our choice or we're going to lose our care or that it's going to be rationed, um, that it plays to our insecurity and leaves us systematically making decisions that are not in our best interest and are in the best interest of those folks who are making millions of dollars on the system as it stands. Hmm. I, I think 
one of the things people fear as well is loss of control or imagined loss of control, let's mm. call it. So many people believe that the system that we have right now gives them a certain amount of freedom and that something like Medicare for All would snatch that freedom away and hand it to the government. Address why you think maybe that's not the case. You know, I think when we talk about change, um, sometimes we become oblivious to the controls that are put upon us in the system as it stands. And I just want to focus there for a second. So, you know, bring it right down to our kitchen table. Um, we are insured uh, in, in our household through my wife's insurance. She's an employer, employee at the University of Michigan. And, uh, and so we have, you know, two or three health insurance options that force us to choose between a premium, uh, which, you know, the word premium has nothing to do with what you pay every month, but that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. A deductible, right, which, um, you know, is a paywall that in effect sits in front of the healthcare you already paid for in your premium, and then a copay. And we get to choose which of these we toggle through. And then there's a network of providers associated with any one of these uh, insurance plans that she and I can work through. And both she and I are, are, are physicians. Uh, I spend a lot of time thinking about healthcare systems. And I'll tell you, right, I, I had to pull out an actuarial table and, and actually assess what's our likelihood of getting sick, what's our likelihood of, uh, of Sarah getting pregnant, uh, to decide which of these plans was the right plan. And I can't imagine uh, how hard it would be if I didn't actually have uh, the, the, the training that I have, and, and that's most people. And so, you know, the choice, quote unquote, that we have is, is, is a choice about insurance plans, all of which uh, exist in a way um, that make them extremely opaque and murky. And then when it comes to actually using your healthcare, if you have to see a doctor, quote unquote, out of network, at that point, you're not paying huge amounts of money out of pocket. And so really, there are a lot of controls in the system as it stands, but those controls are yoked to making sure that health insurance corporations can, can continue to make uh, money enough to pay their CEO 19 million bucks every year. Mm. And so, you know, you look at a system where everybody has the same insurance, no matter who you are, your body is the wor is worth the same thing. You can go see any doctor because every doctor has to take it because it's the one insurance plan. And uh, in the end, uh, it is invested in allowing you access to the care that you need when you need it. Um, to me, it makes obvious sense that I would rather walk out of a system where controls are put upon me to enrich the pockets of a major corporation and invest in a system where I, the taxpayer, have invested into it uh, and have a vote and a say uh, to control it just like everyone else uh, who is a citizen of my country. And that to me seems a lot more fair, equitable, and just. It would mean that 10% of people who don't have healthcare now get to have it. It would mean that the deductibles that uh, that are uh, attributed to 67% of personal bankruptcies go away. Uh, and it would mean that no longer do I have to worry about whether or not my doctor is in network or out of network. I really do get a choice. Mm. I'm talking with Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, former director of the health department here in the city of Detroit, former candidate for governor here in Michigan, and co-author of a new book titled Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide. We're talking about this new uh, book, which which walks people through the idea of Medicare for All and how it would change the healthcare system in this country. We're also talking about uh, the idea politically and practically of Medicare for all. Is this something that we could get done in the United States of America to change some of the things that uh, really harm people uh, about the way that we 
handle healthcare in this country. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Let us know if you agree with Dr. Abdul Al Sayed that Medicare for all is the solution to our healthcare woes in America. Also, give us a call if you oppose the idea of Medicare for all. Uh, if you think it's socialism, if you think it's too much government control over our health care, uh, but also call and tell us then what you think needs to happen to improve the system. I think one of the things that uh, everybody can agree on is that the current system doesn't work very well and is terribly, terribly uh, costly, uh, not just to us as individuals, but uh, to the country as a whole. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can uh, go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation that way. Uh, so when you started writing this book, Abdul, uh, Republicans had control of the White House and of the Senate. Now Democrats have control of both of them plus the House, which they've controlled for a few years. So in your mind, does that really change the political picture for something like Medicare for all? Or does it complicate it uh, just as much? Because even inside the Democratic Party, of course, you've got a wide range of opinions on this kind of reform. That's right. Well, look, I wish it, it changed the picture in uh, the next couple of years. I wish I could be telling you that uh, we are on our way to fundamentally, finally, uh, answering the call that this pandemic has put out and fixing the American healthcare system uh, structurally uh, in ways that it deserves. Um, unfortunately, uh, that is likely not the case. I, I had the privilege of serving on uh, the Sanders-Biden Unity Task Force, helped to write uh, the Democratic platform for healthcare, and you know, we knew coming in uh, that 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 um, that now President Biden uh, does not support Medicare for all. He ran uh, against it. He supported uh, a robust, um, truly public public option. Now, um, as a former health commissioner in the city, uh, as someone who uh, led public health in a city where fifty percent of people had access to healthcare because they had Medicaid, I will do anything and support any effort to get anybody. Uh, better access to healthcare. At the same time, though, right? We just watched the Super Bowl. We know that a a field goal is still points on the board, board even if it's not a touchdown, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you won the game, right? And so, um, I think that uh, we can work hard uh, to achieve uh, President Biden's goals toward building a public option, and I do think that it is a viable step toward expanding uh, the public health insurance footprint and uh, and hopefully putting the health insurance uh, uh, companies uh, on the back foot. And at the same time, recognize that that's not the final answer. The final answer has to be uh, that we fundamentally reform our healthcare uh, and we deal with the structural impediment that that health insurance, uh, as a private entity, is imposing on us. And um, and so I think it, it's it's frustrating for a lot of folks who know. Uh, that the system has to be fixed structurally, that this administration uh, is not likely to, to rise to the task. And at the same time, I, I would tell us uh, that our job is to kick that field goal and then come up on the next drive and, and score that touchdown. Mm. Uh, Brian on Twitter says, Medicare for all would be better than having three separate government-funded system, funded systems like we have currently. Medicare, private insurance, which does have some subsidies, and TRICARE, which is for uh, people in the military. He says an 80% subsidy and 20% private contribution would keep private providers in place so there's competition. If Medicare works for seniors and they love it hands down, 
why wouldn't it work for everyone else? Uh, Big Neo on Twitter says, the biggest problem to Medicare for All is that the one percenters and corporations have told, quote, regular people that it's a bad idea and will hurt them. And those same people will fight against it to the end. Uh, let's go to Chris in Southfield. Chris, what's on your mind? Hey, hi. how you doing? Hey. I just had a quick comment. Um, uh, well, two comments. One, I enjoy the show. And two... Uh, my father worked for Ford Motor Company for 36 years, and he was in labor relations. He ended up being director of labor relations for Ford Motor. Um, he has passed, but um, he said probably 35, 40 years ago, about 35, he said sooner or later there's going to have to be national health care coverage um, before this was even even a subject up in the air. But uh, um, anyways, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, that's all he did was work with the numbers. and. Mm. Over 30 years ago, he was saying that we're going to have to have national health care. That we'll get there, yeah. Chris, I yeah. really appreciate the call uh, and and the thoughts. Um, uh, Abdul, uh, Joe Biden even admitted that this was the direction we were headed and, and that we'd probably end up with a system that looked like Medicare for All. Of course, that ended up being used against him in the campaign uh, there were there were commercials that that quoted him out of context, made it seem like he was advocating for that. But but the idea of inevitability, I think, of some system of universal care, I think, has really gained steam since the passage of uh, of the ACA, which kind of kicked open the floodgates in terms of uh, ideas and possibilities. Uh, is it an inevitability though that uh, that we will get to? some form of universal care? You know, I, I believe uh, deeply that it's going to happen. And um, it's not inevitable. But if you look at the trends uh, in front of us, um, it's pretty clear why uh, a lot of people feel that way. What's happened right now is the cost of healthcare has just continued to spiral upward. We had thought that the ACA was going to put a cap on it. But in fact, um, you look at some of the incentives of what happens when you try and tinker around the edges of a fundamentally broken system is that uh, health insurance companies and hospitals have figured out ways uh, to manipulate um, what's in front of them to continue to raise costs. And so, you know, we, we talked about a woman in the book uh, named Lisa. She's actually a, a, a Michigan resident and her, her husband had had uh, a brain cancer uh, three years prior to her having had um, a very rare form uh, of, 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 of heart attack. And um, they were insured. They were insured through his employer. And uh, they had to take out GoFundMes just to pay uh, the deductible for their health insurance. And the thing about it is that you expect, I mean, the operative term in the word insurance is sure. And so you want to be sure that it's going to be there for you. And in fact, it's not. And so too many people, I think, are getting caught up. And the broad middle, middle class uh, is now fully invested in this fight uh, for Medicare for all. It's why in poll after poll, the majority of Americans uh, support it. Now, um, a lot of folks will say, well, you know, Republicans are dead set against it. You know, that may or may not be true. But um, Stephen, I think you do an amazing job of covering the ways that um, race and, 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 and culture uh, shape so much of our public policy on your show. And I just want to remind people that there was a, a poll done um, that looked at how many points Donald Trump would lose in the 2020 election if he supported Medicare for all. And they found that he's he, in, in, in swing states and they found that he'd, he'd lose two points. 
So mm. it's not really about public policy, right? It is about this cultural fight about what direction we think we need to go. And a lot of that has to do with uh, bigger forces than, than healthcare. And so I do think that we're going to get there. The last point I want to make here, uh, which Chris brought up, uh, is a really important one. Um, I think actually one of, your, one of your listeners on Twitter brought up, which is that this is not a government takeover of healthcare, right? The United Kingdom has government healthcare. Mm-hmm. You walk into a government clinic and a government hospital and have a government-employed doctor. In Canada, which is a lot more similar to what Medicare for All would be, um, you have a private doctor and a private hospital, right? The difference is that uh, government is your health insurance. Um, And that way, right, there's actually a lot more competition between doctors and hospitals because those doctors and hospitals actually have to be the best doctor or the best hospital to get get care Mm -hmm. rather than to be the biggest and to be able to manipulate prices with insurers to be able to continue to gobble up other healthcare systems. And so it's actually a lot lot more pro-business uh, in so many ways than um, than than the system that we have right now is, which you know includes a number of small oligopolies or monopolies uh, in local communities because uh, there is no competition. Mm-hmm. And that sort of touches on this tension point around that word socialism that 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 people use as an insult to describe any uh, healthcare system that includes universal care. As you point out, some of them are not even socialist in their in their in their construction. There, there are certainly some Western countries that have socialized medicine, but there are others where the government is simply the the, the payer for uh, for services that that in in many cases uh, are provided by by private providers. I mean, one of the things that uh, is really difficult about this conversation is that people need more information about what the different ideas are and how they might change uh, our system. And of course, uh, in your book, uh, that's what you're that's what you're trying to address. OK, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. We also will continue to hear from you. Liz in Garden City, Bernadette and Old Redford will get to you next. We'll get to some other social media comments. And if you'd like to join on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us what you think of the idea of Medicare for all. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. My guest is Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, a very familiar face and voice here in the state of Michigan. He was director of Detroit's health department and a former candidate for governor here in Michigan in 2018. Uh, He has a new book out called Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide. We're talking about that book and about the idea of Medicare for All. Is that the solution to our health care issues in uh, the United States? And if it is, how do we get to the place where we are actually putting it into into action. Uh, we would love to hear from you as well during the segment. Uh, let us know what you think about the idea of Medicare for All, universal care uh, of, of any kind. Uh, is it something that you think it's time for us to do here in America? Or are you somebody who is really apprehensive about that kind of change? Uh, maybe you like the system that we have now, or at least you feel like it would be better than uh, one of these other ideas. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 
577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Liz in Garden City. Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hey. Hey, I'm uh, I'm interested in it. I I would be all for it. What I'm curious about is how you would approach the current issue of overtreatment and the financial incentives and other incentives for physicians to throw it. You know, just all those diagnostic tests that you don't need. And you know, in my case, they were trying to get me to get have chemotherapy that I did not need. Hmm. Um, but I believe that the doctor would financially benefit from it. Um, so I'm wondering how those uh, types of situations would be approached. Yeah, uh, Liz, great question. Uh, the, you know, the, the the idea of waste in the system and how much you could save by eliminating it is something that people talk about all the time uh, right now. But But I think it's worth wondering whether... Uh, a system like Medicare for All would encourage more waste or, I guess, discourage it? Yeah, Liz, I, I really appreciate uh, the question. And I'll tell you, I spent a couple of years uh, as a grad student in the UK. And I remember uh, I was playing rugby, of all things, um, and uh, and thought I'd cracked a rib and uh, went to go see my GP. And he said, look, I, I know and you know, and I was a medical student at that point. And he's like, there's very little that I'm going to I'm gonna see on an X-ray, except for that you have a cracked rib, right? If, if there were bigger, worse symptoms, then you know, it hurts where you touch it or it hurts when you laugh too hard, then I'd get you an X-ray because that would be the clinical course of care. But uh, I'm not going to do that because you know I, I know and you know that this is this is a bruised rib and I'm send you on your way. And I said, well, you know, at least you know, probably want to get an X-ray. He said, no, in the U.S. you get an X-ray because there's a lot of money that changes hands when we when you do that. But I'm going to do only the thing uh, that I need to to keep you safe and keep you healthy. And one big issue in the United States that we have to deal with. Uh, is the issue of torts, is the issue of an extremely litigious healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And one approach in terms of taking on that issue when it comes to Medicare for All uh, is to do what they do in Canada, which is to say that the insurer uh, basically is also an insurer for uh, clinicians when it comes to uh, their legal liabilities. And in that case, it frees them of a lot of the worry uh, of what we call CYA, cover your rear-end medicine, uh, that is practice that does uh, lead to more changing uh, hands of money and, of course, the disincentives uh, that too many clinicians face to do more care, to upsell uh, you on healthcare. And so I do think that that Medicare for All offers us a space to take on that issue. Another issue that we could take on is the extremely high uh, medical school debt. So the average doctor will graduate with upwards of $150,000 to $200,000 in debt. And the reason that that matters isn't just for the doctors themselves, but because it changes the preferences that they have in what career path they go to. And they see $200,000 in debt and say, you know what, I really wanted to be a primary care doctor serving underserved communities in Detroit or uh, out in rural Michigan, but, but now I actually just have to make money. So let me go into dermatology or let me go into orthopedics. And there's nothing wrong uh, with those fields. But when a lot of people are going into them, we're getting less primary care doctors and it leads to the situation we have now where we have a shortage. So a lot of these challenges could be solved if we were to say, look, Medicare for all is just going to pay for medical school for people. And that way uh, we we can address the disincentive that you have to going into the kind of healthcare that really does serve people. It can address the tort issue. So we can address the disincentives that you have to uh, practicing CYA medicine and 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 overcare uh, that we have in our country. 
Uh, again, Liz, thanks very much for the call and the really provocative question. Let's go to Jim in Ann Arbor. Jim, welcome to Detroit today. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. I uh-huh. just wanted to say that, you know, it, it just makes sense. That it doesn't matter how much money you throw at, at the health care system. If it's a broken health care system and it's industrialized medicine that is profit-driven, then you're not going to really solve the problem. And if you really want to be conservative and solve the health care issues in this country, then we're going to have a, a team-based functional wellness approach towards medicine and reward doctors and hospitals for being part of that team that actually wants to heal people rather than profit from their disease and dysfunction. Mm. And there's, in relation to that, just in the mental health field alone, if people look at the Kennedy Forum, um, there's been some landmark court cases made lately. I think it's the Witt case that, uh, that really mandates that rather than repeated hospitalizations, which are ineffectual and actually damaging in psychiatric care, that you look at at the best possible health care and make that available, and that is a, a right that people have. And so that lowers the cost of health care. Hmm. That's all I really wanted to say. I yeah. Jim, Jim, I I really appreciate uh, the call and you injecting that perspective into the conversation. Dr. Elsayed, react to that. Yeah, Jim, I I really appreciate uh, your point here, which is, um, you know, the the big picture that we have to understand in this country and that we're understanding in very painful ways right now is that if you intervene early, you don't have to intervene late. And our healthcare system, unfortunately, because so much money changes hands uh, for late stage care, there is a broader political economy pull uh, into that later stage of care. We spend 18 cents on the dollar for every dollar spent in our entire economy on healthcare. And it's giving us middling uh, to poor outcomes relative to other high income countries. Um, And we spend in, in that case nearly twofold as much as they do in Canada uh, or the United Kingdom. And the best single way, right, to uh, address that, to, to create better outcomes is to invest earlier. But because there are not the incentives to do that in our healthcare system because of the way it exists as a business, both on the insurance side and on the provider side, uh, we, we don't do that thing. And that is hitting us hard right now because we're watching what happens when you disinvest in your public health infrastructure. We've got an incredible set of vaccines, but we can't seem to get them out to people fast enough because we don't have the infrastructure to do it because we did not invest in doing that in this country. And so Medicare for all changes the conversation because it takes away the profit motive out of the health insurance side of things uh, by creating one national health insurer um, and allows us then to put the investments early on uh, that we need to to save the entire system money because it's the government paying to prevent or it's the government paying to care. And uh, all of us would rather that the government pay us to prevent care. And the last point I always make when, when I teach about these issues is that nobody actually wants health care per se. People want health. And only after you've gotten sick is health care a means to getting health. And so, you know, we've got to be investing in health, not just health care. And it means rethinking where we invest and how we invest. Again, Jim, I really appreciate uh, the call and uh, the perspective there. Let's go to Fred in Farmington Hills. Fred, what's on your mind? Yeah, good, good morning. Uh, 
maybe the doctor could address this. I'm anxious to read his book. But I'm in Medicare, and it's not quite the panacea that uh, those who are not on it might think it is because uh, it only pays 80%, and uh, so I pay a huge amount for a supplement. I am on Plan F, which is the best, but but it, it is a, a big expense, and uh, and then I have to pay for a uh, kind of a supplemental uh, drug uh, program, and, uh, you know, all of this uh, amounts to quite a bit of money every year. Mm. Um, also, uh, going around and around with the various uh, parts of this system uh, sure. can be daunting. So, so, um, for, uh, so Fred, before so, I have uh, Dr. El-Sayed uh, respond, give me a sense of how you how you interact with Medicare. I mean, I know it's not just one program and, and people get to choose, uh, you know, the level of care that they want and, and the kinds of programs they want to participate in. What, 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 which ones of those are you, are you involved with? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, a little over a year ago, I was involved in an automobile accident and um, I'm still trying to straighten it out between the hospital, and then the emergency room, which has is a separate entity from the hospital, mm-hmm. with and then Medicare is involved, and my my supplemental insurance company is involved, and then the auto insurance company is involved, and it's I'm, I'm just going round and round with uh, all of these entities, yeah. trying to straighten it all out, and uh, it's it's overwhelming, yeah, and it could be if. For someone that was uh, much older, yeah, uh, Fred, I I really appreciate. I mean, it. I'm 79 and I still have pretty much my faculties. But if I was, if I was trying to deal with this system at a at a higher age, uh, it would be impossible. Yeah, yeah, Fred, I really appreciate the call, uh, Doctor Elsa. I had responded to that. Uh, the people who are on Medicare have their own frustrations with the system and. With cost, would Medicare for all change the picture for them, or would it just give the rest of us what they have? Yeah, first, Fred, thank you for sharing your experience, and I'm really sorry to hear about your auto accident and all the frustration that came after that. The best way to really talk about Medicare for all is actually new and improved Medicare for all. There are a lot of holes in the Medicare system that are put there by design by people who want to uh, support the, the private health insurance industry simply because. Uh, oftentimes, these are politicians who are backed by that industry and their largesse. Um, and so there are holes put into it, right, so that uh, you have to continue to pay more. Medicare Advantage, um, I usually call Medicare Disadvantage, because what happens is you have a private corporation that takes Medicare money uh, to profiteer off of it, and they offer uh, what looks like a set of better packages, but really they're usually cherry-picking the healthiest patients. And ultimately, uh, when you look at it, uh, they end up um, having uh, worse outcomes relative uh, to the same kinds of patients on, on Medicare. Um, and so, yes, we have to fix Medicare as it stands and then offer it to everyone. That's the basic idea here. That the notion that Medicare doesn't cover uh, dental or doesn't cover vision or doesn't cover hearing loss in a senior population just, just is absurd. And all of these different pieces, part A, part B, part C, part D, um, becomes really confusing for people. And so uh, we need to make Medicare easier to use uh, and simpler, and we need to make it more comprehensive with less money out of pocket. And then the idea is to give it to everybody. Um, the reality of this is that it doesn't have to be this hard, is that it, these are choices that are made 
by the folks who control the healthcare system uh, in, in a lot of ways to keep it opaque, to, to, to make it hard. The notion that, you know, when you have to call, when you get sick, you have to call your insurer to fight with them to pay for the healthcare you already paid for. Um, that is a built-in uh, opacity in the system that benefits none other than the insurer. We can do it better. Uh, we must do it better. And as Fred's uh, story illustrates that it is frustrating as it stands. Uh, and there is real cost, real people lose time, money, and their lives. Uh, as a function of the system being what it is. Okay, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, it's always great to have you here on the show and was really great to have you here today to talk about this wonderful new book, Medicare for All. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephen, my privilege. Yes, and listeners, be sure to go pick up a copy of Medicare for All, A Citizen's Guide, if you have more questions or want more information about that kind of healthcare reform and what it would do for us in this country. Okay, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Michigan Republican Party, which held its annual convention and chose new leadership over the weekend. We're going to hear from Bridge Magazine, Bridge Michigan politics reporter Jonathan Osting about the big mess that the state GOP finds itself in entering 2021. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. <laughs> 